I'm Asam, and this is the Friday show Transfer Talk cocktail we've been promising you for a while. Joining me to pour shots of speculation down your throats, I've got the one and only Sam Lee. Welcome, mate. Uh, hi, mate. Thanks a lot for that analogy. <laughs> Did you like that? Yeah, well, I suppose it was all in injections and stuff over the summer, weren't it? So maybe we'll find a new emoji for winter. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Winter is just going to be about shots, shots of speculation. Mm. Um, how are you? Yeah, good, mate. Thank you. Good. Yeah, good week in, in City World. You've seen you've seen Guardiola. You saw Guardiola after the weekend game, and then before and after the Champions League games. Is he in good spirits? Yeah, well, I mean. I put that thing on Twitter the other week about the theory about him being more relaxed when, and it's not that City are going to win the game, but when he thinks, you know, you know, we're in a good shape, if you know we've got a tactical plan to beat him and everything, then he's more relaxed. And I think, I don't think that's that revolutionary actually. Um, but the other day, yeah, he was in good good mood ahead ahead of the final game, but that's to be expected because it wasn't a big crunch game, was it? Um, but yeah, he just he just seemed to be in a good place at the moment. Um, they've Stones is the biggest headache at the moment, but he seems excited to, you know, to deal with that challenge. To be honest, um, and City have been rolling with the punches so far, haven't they? I mean, nobody thought they'd, totally. they'd get this far without company, and um, the way he's adapted to give the team more width without Mendy, you know, that that wasn't necessarily a given. Um, and they've just been they've just been dealing with ev- everything. As, as well as can be expected. So Stones is just an extension of that, really. And, yeah, he, he does seem to be in a in a good place at the moment. And you know, looking at City's fixtures, you can see why. Yeah, no, totally. Um, what did you make of the final match? Um, it's a bit of an odd one. But I think it's it's one of those, and Torre summed it up quite well yesterday. Um, he spoke after the game. And it's one of those where if you, if you make a lot of changes like that, Chances are, you know, the the intensity is not going to be the same, is it? Um, mm. And you you go into it, you know, you need to win, but the intensity is not the same, and so the men, the mental side's different, and you know, the actual performance side's different because there's so many changes. And I mean, it was better than the Wolves game against yeah. better opposition. Although Wolves were good, but Feyenoord, you know, they they are a better team. Um, so it was it was better in in that respect, and you know they still got the job done. And Feyenoord didn't really have any chances. Um, so it was it was a bit of an it was a a bit of a dull game, I suppose. And yeah, I mean, people were taking a lot of lessons from it, going, "Oh well, look, it shows we haven't got that deeper squad." And that is true, but I don't think the other night was proof of it because if you play six or seven different players, even if they're good players. It's, it's just going to be different, isn't it? And yeah. it wasn't a must-win game. Um, I think better proof of the squad was the fact that in Napoli, um, Silva didn't play and Walker didn't play and Gundogan and Danilo came in and did very well. So I think that's better proof than you know yeah. chucking in six or seven at a time. And obviously Foden and Brahim got a go. Um, they would have got longer if City had been winning, but that's just how it goes. But you'd think both of them could start in Shakhtar now, because why not? No, absolutely, because that's uh, it leads me nicely into... Uh, it's my next question, actually, Sam. Um, so United lost last night, which means that they actually need a result yeah. well, of, of yeah. some description to win the group. Yeah, I think well, unless they lose 5-0, they're going to top the group. So uh, it's one of those where, yeah, they, they do need a point. They, You know, like City could just send like Phil Foden, Brahim and Brian Kidd to Shakhtar and get away with it. <laughs> 
But like obviously United are going to have to put up some kind of team, but they only need a point. And even if they lose 2-0, 3-0, um, they'll still still go through as group winners, I think. So it's it's not quite... Are you sure about that? I thought that... I thought... It's, well, it's head-to-head, isn't it? And they battered Shakhtar in the first place. Ah, okay. uh, Sorry, CSK in the first place. That's true. That's very true. Um, still, I think it does... I, 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 do you think it'll give City some type of an edge, the fact that it's literally a dead rubber for us now in Shakhtar? Uh, I mean, the problem is, it's travel. If it was just dipping over to France or Holland or something like that, it'd be, it would be much easier. And like I said, I mean, you, you, I mean, you'd have to do it, but you could get away with not even sending Guardiola. You know what I mean? Just keep, <laughs> keep the whole, you'd keep keep the squad in Manchester and um, and just focus on the derby. But I mean, they are going to have to go. They are going to have to prepare as best they can. And you know, I mean, it's not too much of a long haul flight to be honest and they will have a nice big luxurious private plane it's but given the circumstances and again back when the draw was made everyone was saying well hopefully it'll be a dead rubber and it is mm. so i mean you can't say fairer than that really so yeah um they've done as much as they can and i can't imagine too many first team players if any will play and <laughs> i don't know maybe it'll be like it may be a bit like that Chelsea game under Pellegrini a few years ago where just nobody plays. You know, it's just it's just loads of kids. Was it it's, David David Paolo played up front and everyone was like <laughs> I wasn't expecting that. Yeah, no, maybe you'll play the lot. I think I think it's complicated in the Champions League because obviously the players have to be registered, don't they? So he can only yeah. pick from that squad of of twenty two or yeah. But with City, if, you, if you if you play kids who have been at City the whole time, it's okay. Um, yeah. But if like Zinchenko can't play, I don't think. Mm-mm. Um, so yeah it's not even like you could chuck him in so it would have to be some of the kids who have been there a while so you know that, you know, in terms of like Nemecha and people like that Labatier I only hesitated on saying his name because I can't really say it um, I think they'd be alright but, but obviously it depends on the situation with the youth team as well and their progress but I think they're okay as well but yeah I mean if it, if it were me I'd, I'd just with it being the derby at the weekend as well, yeah, I'd, I'd send just mainly kids. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, totally. Um, okay, let's uh, let's do a little transfer talking, Sam, because it's uh, it's been a while. It's been a while. Have you missed it? You missed the transfer madness. No, I've, I've missed having. Yeah, I've missed the madness of having the information and being able to tell people what's going on. This time, I'll just be pretty much speculating as much as anyone else. But let's go for it. Okay. Um, I want to start by talking, obviously we're going to look at January. Um, what positions could City potentially buy in? That's probably the best place to start. Yeah, well, the, the, the thing I've been saying for a while, I think it was after the first Champions League game, the Shakhtar at home. Mm. Somebody said to me, they want Alexis, a centre-back and a left-back in January. And that's still the case now. So that's kind of, that's the, the plan, the outline. But I know there's been a couple of links in the last couple of days to Goretzka and Draxler as well. But I've got my theories on that. Not that, not to say it's not true, but I've just got my theories as to why that might be. But why the priority might be? Well, just because why not? Like, if they're available, why not? You know, if Draxler's on loan, yeah, okay. Um, and if um, if you can get Goretzka in the summer, fine. But if you can get him now, why not? Um, the only thing with Goretzka is I don't know if he's better than. Um, I don't. Think, I don't know if he's better than any of City's options in that role. Like you know, he's not better than Silver and Gun uh, and De Bruyne, which is fine. There's no slight on him. Um, 
I'm not sure how much better he is than Gundogan um, and even Bernardo Silva if he were to play in there. And then you've got the whole Foden progress path blocker thing as well. So I'm not sure about the Goretzka one. I'm not sure where he really fits in. Um, but like, but like I say, with the Draxler thing, if you can get him on loan, then yeah, why wouldn't you? But yeah, the the main point is, I think the priorities are the centre-back, the left-back and Alexis Sanchez. And I think it's as simple as they didn't get him in the summer. Um, then, you know, why, why not go for it now? They didn't want to take any chances in the summer. I was, as we'd have said hundreds of times on the podcast in the summer, they didn't want to take any chances in Guardiola's second season. They couldn't risk having a season like last season. So they wanted to give him everything he needed. And obviously in the end, it started really well, but those five signings ended up being five signings, didn't it? They didn't. Mm. There was then nobody else came in on top of that, so they're just going to want to get them, um, get them through the door now, basically. So Alexis is obviously still still a target, it, but I'm not sure why Arsenal would sell now if they weren't going to sell in the summer, unless they've seen the error of their ways. But I don't know. Um, I don't know how easy it would be for them to find a replacement. Um, and then yeah, it's. Um, the centre back, which is obvious, really, because they—I mean—I still think City should sign Alexis, but I mean, I, I appreciate there is an argument why people would say they don't need him, um, but I don't think anybody could argue they don't need a centre back, and I don't think anybody would turn their nose up at a left back if offered as well. So I mean, the thinking behind it, because you know, the thinking behind City's transfer strategy in the summer—it took a bit of explaining, didn't it, about why the centre back wasn't necessarily a priority and why they were doing it this way and. This is the way they were thinking about it. But in January, it's pretty straightforward, really. It's, they're going for places they, they obviously need and have needed since the start of the season. Mm. Uh, and Alexis, which who's it. But again, people might not be entirely on board with it, but you know, I, I can see the reasoning for it. Do you not think that do you not think that the um form of Aguero and Jesus kind of highlights why we probably could do with a player another attacker in January? Or am I being harsh on their form? Yeah, well, I mean, to be honest, when you said, do you not think the harsh of those, uh, sorry, do you not think the form of those two? Um, I thought you were going to go the other way and say, you know, they've, they've been good. Do you, not, do you not think we don't need Alexis? I'm using we there from your point of view, just yeah. before anyone says, <laughs> I, I used to call City we on the podcast. Um, no, I th- look, my, I think they want Alexis because, look, Aguero's improved. And if we're talking from 1 to 10 on, like, a Guardiola scale of being a Guardiola striker, yeah. Aguero's probably gone from, like, a 4 to a 7. But I think Alexis is, like, already a 9. So, basically, that's I think that's Guardiola's theory there. And he didn't play well, did he, against uh, against City when he was, when he was um, up here with Arsenal the other week. Um, but in the first half, when the ball kept coming up to him and it was bouncing around, you know, like, kind of knee height, thigh height, and City players were closing him down. He he was shielding it really well and holding it up really well and giving it off to teammates and not just in difficult positions, but like laying it off perfectly so Arsenal kept possession. You could just think that you can see why that would be so valuable in this City team, even if, you know, Aguero has learned a lot and, and Jesus is already good at it and, you know, will get better as he's older. Um, yeah, I think I think their form's been good enough for there to be an argument that they don't need Alexis. But I I do think he'd probably offer more to the team than even Aguero, even with all the improvements he's made. And and yeah, I mean he's not had a great season as he Alexis, but I think that is because he was so keen to move to City and it was going to happen in the end. And he signed the contract and everything, and then it fell apart because Arsenal messed it about. So I think that's kind of an attitude thing, which mm. is a whole other argument in itself, I suppose. Well, just to 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 drill down a little bit into. 
Arsenal's point of view. Yeah. Um, how do they? How do they navigate the situation with Sanchez and, to a lesser extent, with Ozil as well? In that, but both the players—they're in the Europa League. They're in a fight for the top four. I would say that they're out of the title race. Um, what do they do? Do they take money in January? Because both Sanchez and Ozil have both been linked with 20, 25 million pound moves to, to, to City and to Barcelona respectively in January. Um, what do Arsenal do? Isn't it, isn't it, sorry, isn't it actually worse for them to sell in January now, having kept them in the summer in a way? Yeah, well, this is it. I mean, it's hard to second guess Arsenal. Uh, and it was so obvious in the summer that Alexis wanted to leave. And I don't know what, I mean, I went into this before on the other podcast with Howard the other week, so I'm not, I won't do it too much again. But I don't know what Wenger was thinking, that everything was just going to turn out all right. Like his, Alexis's desire to go to City was so obvious. I mean, Wenger would have had to know that. And I don't know what he was hoping for. I don't know, you know, it was just, it must be, it must have been delusion. But mm. you kind of think now, will they realise the error and kind of just cash in? Or will they just kind of stick to stick to their guns out of stubbornness? And by there, I pretty much just mean Wenger as, as one man. And he might just do it out of stubbornness and go, well, look, we were going to, we thought they could leave on a free anyway. So let's just go with that and see where we are. Because like, like I say, they Look, they they always struggle with replacing their good players anyway. Like Lacazette is a good player, but for some reason doesn't doesn't play in big games, which is really odd. Um, they, you know, with a full summer, they struggle to replace their best players. So Alexis and Özil leaving in January when they're having good games here and there, you know, dotted around, you know, against Spurs the other day they were good, against Everton, although Everton were terrible, they were good. Um, and you know, Arsenal are doing about the same as they normally do now. They've kind of slipped out of the top four, but, you know, fourth, fifth, sixth will be their end position. And they're doing that with these two players who aren't really performing as consistently as they could do. So I don't know if they'd gamble on trying to replace that, their two biggest players, in January. I mean, you'd maybe think they would be the ones going balls out for Draxler if he is available. Hmm. But um, it's just like it's just really it is really difficult to second guess them because it keeping them in the summer, keeping Alexis more so because I think Ozil was kind of happy enough to go along and he might still sign a contract. Um, but they were just they just behaved so weirdly in the summer. It's difficult to know what they're going to do again now. Yeah, yeah, no, that's uh, that's a fair shot. It's hard for it's really difficult even for sort of looking from the outside. Even even the newspapers don't seem to have much of a clue. Even guys like John Cross, who were close to Arsenal, seem to vacillate between the idea that, you know, the dressing room is sick of Sanchez and they're ready to sell him and he's definitely going to stay and go on a free in the summer. So it's it's really difficult to predict. But then it feels like it was a little bit like that throughout August as well in that, you know, depending on who you listen to, he was definitely being sold or he was definitely not being sold. Um so yeah, maybe. well they, I don't know. They, I don't think people get much out of Arsenal unless it's good news, which is similar to most press offices. But unless it's good news, people don't really know, and um, I don't think too many of the of the normal Arsenal lot. Are, 
have any, have any inroads at all with Alexis's people. You know, me and, me and Chris managed to do good work because I was getting it from the city side and Chris was, you know, messaging his family and like Alexis's friends using Google Translate. He doesn't speak Spanish, but he was, he was using Google Translate to, to communicate with his friends throughout the summer. And it's like a lot of new, a lot of journalists aren't doing that. They, they didn't have a, any kind of inside track from either Arsenal or Alexis. And I think that's why, you know, a lot of, at the start of the summer, people was like swearing blind he was going to go Chelsea. And these, you know, people who were connected to both clubs, it's just like, nah, nah, it's not going Chelsea. Yeah, fair enough. Um, so another position that I want to talk about, uh, firstly, are there any other forwards that you can think of that City potentially either have been linked with or could move for in January? In January, no. Um because I think the kind of players that City are going to be going for, and I said last summer, you know, if the transfer window pans out as well as expected and they can afford to spend big on players in the future, then they will. And I think the transfer window it didn't necessarily pan out as we expected, but the season's going well enough. And if they get them in January, then they may be on course to spend big in the summer. And they may be, you know, they they could be one of the clubs who could spend 150 million plus on a player. Um, and obviously, those kind of deals, those kind of forwards, they'd be looking at people like Dybala. I don't. You're just never going to get them done in January. Yeah. And I think obviously the appeal with Alexis is he's a world class player, and they were either going to get him for a reasonable fee last summer, or a very reasonable fee now, or on a free. So I think that's the kind of the beauty there. Um, and yeah, like I say about um, Draxler, he, you know, he's a player who can come in, he could probably fit into that front line. So if Alexis, and like I say, I haven't got the inside track on Alexis at the moment. I think there is the agreement with City, but it's just whether he's going to be able to come or not. Um, but I think those kind of Draxler links might be born out of that just as a kind of, well, if we can get someone to fit into that forward line and it's not Alexis, then who do we do? And it will be somebody, you know, like alone. Because January is still a difficult market to shop in, obviously. We don't need to go into go into those reasons again. So, no, I'm not really sure what kind of forward City could go for that would actually fit into their their plan. Because, I mean, Cheeky hasn't always had a great record of transfers, has he? But last summer, it was executed, by and large, pretty well in terms of the targets they wanted. Obviously, the Dani Alves thing was a bit of a fiasco in the end um but everyone else they just went well we're going to pay the money and get them mm. for the for the key targets you know those fundamental targets we talked about and the ones that they did early so their plans have been quite solid in the last couple of years and obviously going back to to sane the summer before and things like that so i don't think they're going to want to shoehorn somebody in in january as much as they don't want to take any chances about the title this year i don't think they'll want to do a transfer that's kind of ill-advised and ends yeah. up costing them basically like bonnie a couple of years ago you could see the theory behind it yeah but you know it was just it was a bit of an odd one wasn't it so mm. i don't think they're going to want to lumber themselves with somebody it's a fine line i suppose okay um on the Goretzka thing, I think that's quite interesting. Uh, I think it's worth revisiting. Uh, he has a ve- I mean, he's really highly rated. We're talking about Sane levels of hype coming out yeah, of Germany yeah, yeah. about how good he is. Um, and again, he's got himself into a position where he goes on a free in the summer. Um, do you think 
before we talk specifically about him, do you think in general with City there will be moments where even if the squad, even if you don't necessarily need a player, the quality of the player who's available and the value of the deal as it is because he goes on a free in the summer, which means that even if you get him in January, it'll be quite cheap. Do you think that that do you think that that will move them to go for the player, or do you think that Pep and Cheeky they're much more kind of they don't roll like that? That if the squad is set and they've got their positions in their players, they're not going to bring another guy in. I don't know. It's difficult because I think with because the squad hasn't been set as it for so long, especially not with with Guardiola around. It's kind of like the the examples we have had to deal with have, have then been. You know they've been going f- uh, to strengthen obvious areas, but now you would say that area where Goretzka plays, it doesn't really need it. The only thing you could you could say is if he is that good, and you know I'm sure Guard- well, Guardiola will know everything about him from his time at Bayern. Um, you know that Bundesliga market is one. You know they're very they're very much on top of. Um, I mean, yeah, and as you say, if he's good value, then maybe they'd do it because you know David Silva can't go on forever. Um, and that would be the obvious one. And then you look at the midfield then. And, I mean, how old's Gundogan? 26? De Bruyne is 26. Bernardo's younger than that. And then you get Goretzka as well. And then, again, you've got a midfield that is set for years then. Yeah. And between them, you know, it's... Well, between them and between the rest of the team, City are moving away from being reliant on David Silva. I think the best example of that, obviously, was was Napoli. Um but it's just because of how City works so well as a team and as a unit and Guardiola's plans and all that. You know, the, there shouldn't be such an over-reliance on David Silva as there has been in the past because, you know, the, the, the whole unit is so cohesive now. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I can certainly see the argument for Goretta in, if from that point of view, I suppose. If he, is, if he is really of that quality. But like I say, I, I, at the moment, if... And I'm really not one of these people who just insists on playing kids. And I might be right and I might be wrong. I don't know. But in Foden, Foden is kind of the one you would say, give Foden the chance. And it's kind of like if you do buy Goretzka, then it's like Foden isn't going to get a chance ever, is he, really? Yeah. So that's kind of the dilemma I've got with it as well. With the fact that he might not be, he's probably not that good at the moment to come in and take anyone's place and all he's doing really is another barrier for Foden you know I I don't know my only thing with um, with the Goretzka thing is that Fernandinho before he came to City he wasn't a holding midfielder he was he kind of played as a number eight like Goretzka does now and he's come to City and he's kind of become the guy who plays at the base of the midfield and I think it's very difficult to find what I would consider to be holding midfielders or play, players who play at the base of a, of a of a midfield who have got the physical attributes that you need to play in the Premier League and have got the technical attributes that you need to be a Guardiola player. And I just wonder whether that might be a more... Whether he might look at somebody like Goretzka and go, well... Mould him into one, yeah. Yeah, like mould him into one rather than... So, for example... We know that we've been previously linked with with Weigl. We know that with Fernandinho's age, that we will in next summer be in the market for for a holding midfield player. Um, maybe Goretzka's kind of the compromise in the sense mm. that if you can get him in January, 
Um, and he does come cheap. It'll be a lot easier than trying to get Weigel out of Dortmund, which will probably be, you know, in excess of £50 million come the summer. Um, and then below Weigel, my issue is that then you start talking about guys like William Carvalho, where you just go, you've got no idea how that guy's going to do in a Guardiola side and, and in the Premier League. Do you know what I mean? Like, Yeah, well, what somebody said to me right at the start of the summer was, obviously, we talked about this a lot in the summer, that they weren't going for a holding midfielder last summer. Yeah. But I think next summer it'll be, you know, top of the list. And they they said, like Wanyama. So, obviously, somebody with that physical side who can play as well. And like you say, it's not easy to do. Maybe Goretzka would fit would fit into that. But, yeah, I'm, I'm just thinking the more Guardiola gets used to it, I think he's used to it now. But the more he knows English football, I think he's probably getting away from that kind of, small diminutive man at the back of midfield running the game yeah like you say the physical demands because you know they are there as much as the physicality of the Premier League does get overblown you know you do you do need that we've seen that with Fernandinho he can do both mm. um, I, I think I just, you see yeah, it in, I, wonder, I wonder how Weigl would, would get on yeah I think you see it also in the players that we signed this summer I think that you know it's no it's, okay, no, yeah, big it's no accident that you know Mendy and Walker are proper units yeah, yeah, yeah. Danilo as well he's massive yeah. um I, I think that yeah I just think it's I think it'll be complicated in the summer to find like unless you go and get Fabinho who seems to have the physical attributes and the technical attributes and can obviously play um I think that it, there's not a, a heap of names and I wonder with Goretzka whether that might be the that's where the link comes from because, like you, I don't see. I've I have a similar thing with Deli Ali where I can imagine if Deli Ali was on the market, City would love to sign him. But right now, where would you play him if you signed him? Mm. So yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's a bit. I think that, and I think the the player who whose future decides those those. Things it's not really Foden, it's not really David Silva for me. It's it's Gundogan and and his fitness and and yeah. how he develops this season and whether next season because I imagine that Guardiola in an ideal ideal world would like a player who's really putting the pressure on David Silva and Kevin De Bruyne, a guy who's basically going, I'm as good as those two, I should be playing every week, and and I really have that competition in the way that I feel as though in the forward line, you look at Sterling, Sane, Jesus and Aguero, and you go, all four of those guys have got an argument for playing every week, more yeah. or less. Um, and I'm not sure we've got that in centre-mid. I feel as though KDB and Silva are very, very, very much established, but below yeah. them, he seems reluctant. And I don't know with, with Gundogan whether it's a fitness thing or what it is. He seems reluctant to play him in the league to play him regularly in the league. Um, and so I just wonder whether maybe his future is the key to, to Goretzka, to guys like Deli Ali, that that might be because David Silver, I think he stays until he retires, to be honest. I hope he does anyway. Um, yeah. Well, he wants that 10 years, at, 10 years at city, doesn't he? Which will be up to 2020. Yeah. No, and I, then, I mean, by then, <clears throat> even if he doesn't retire, I mean, symbolically, I suppose for city fans it would be nice if he did, but he does want to go to Las Palmas, doesn't he? But he'll be... Right. How old will he be by then? 24. Sorry, 24? 34, 34. 35. Yeah, 34, 35. Yeah. So I think he'll be... You know, if he's if he's done his 10 years at City, I think that'll be enough. And by then, anyway, the way football moves, you, you would think City would have would have plenty of players in there. And yeah, you're right. I mean, it could be it could be Gundogan. But, and again, we were told in the summer that Gundogan, you know, he could... 
he's, he's the one to play at the back of midfield if Fernandinho doesn't, but we haven't seen that yet at all, have we? No. I think there's another... I think maybe there's one more um, phase in this season where there's going to be a shift in, in who's playing and how they're playing. And maybe in that shift... I'm thinking more of when you get to the Champions League knockout stages. Let's say we get to the final of the Carlin Cup. We progress in the FA Cup. Those games will pile up January, February, March. Mm-hmm. And at, at that moment, we'll see how much faith he's... Because so far, for me, the only big, big game that I can think of that Gundogan has started is Napoli away. Yeah. Um, I think other than that, I can't I can't think of a big game that he started. Um, okay. In terms of centre-backs, uh, yeah. very quickly, Virgil van Dijk, yes or no for January? You think that's... Yeah, I don't know, and I need to. I, I've been meaning to ask, but I've kind of been picking my questions carefully the last few days, okay. just, just for other topics. But with Van Dijk, the difference is at the start of the season. Sorry, at the start of the summer, he was obviously like a key target for the centre back position. God, this, God, I forgot how confusing the summer was. If, <laughs> if, if they decided to go for a centre back at the start of the summer, it was going to be Van Dijk. But then he went for Liverpool, and then by the end of the summer, when they were still looking, you know, they were sniffing around Bonucci, and there was there were other names. I think it was it was there were three there or after. It was Bonucci? I can't remember who the third one was now. And then um, Van Dijk wasn't one of them. And I, what I need to ask is, was that because Southampton wanted like seventy million? And it was just ridiculous, and they couldn't do it. Or was it because he turned them down, um, like Laporte and Bellerin and Oxley Chamberlain in the past? And that's what I need to ask now, because it will be quite easy to work out if Van Dijk's going to be a target in January or not. Because if Cheeky's done this whole thing where he's just bins off players who have rejected City, then he's not going to be. Yeah. But that's that's what I need to find out. So at the moment, I don't know. Okay. And just in terms of profile in January in centre-backs? Because obviously, like, with, with the, the the striker thing, we know it's Sanchez, more or less. Um, yeah. Midfield, it feels a little bit, a little bit more cloudy what will, what will happen. In terms of the defence, the centre-back and the left-back position, we'll deal with centre-back first. Um, is there any hope, or hope, let me, hope is maybe the wrong word, is there any chance that Mangala shows enough between now and, the first of January that they decide we just don't need to move in January. Uh, well, it's difficult because at West Brom in the cup, it was good and he was good on the ball, but in the last couple of games, you know, he's been solid overall, but Leicester, he gave the ball away twice in dangerous areas, which you just haven't seen a city center back do all season. Yeah. And he, and he did it once against Feyenoord as well. It, it, like in one of the obviously I suppose if a centre back gives it away it's dangerous but it was just like give it straight back to them when half the team are you know the team are set up to attack and all of a sudden they haven't got it and they're all out of position we know how important that is to a Guardiola team so I mean it'd have to cut that out um, and I, I suppose in an ideal world it would mean that they wouldn't unless they've got their target sorted but you know we know how difficult they found it in the summer to, to get centre back so in an ideal world I suppose Mangala would turn out to be good enough, um, but I mean there was this, there was a story about Diakabi, wasn't there, and a, and a swap for Mangala, and you know, I think there's I think there's definitely something in that. Um, as far all I know on Diakabi is, and if there is a deal, it's probably agreed by now because it's five or six weeks till the window opens, and we know our city work, so there must be something. There'll be more going on that we know about at the moment. Um, 
But the Diacabi thing, as much as I know on that from the Leon end, is that um, City are interested in him. And when clubs start admitting stuff like that behind the scenes, I don't know. Obviously, sometimes it can just be to drive up a price. But from the context that I heard this, it seemed genuine. But the way clubs kind of admit information like that is they kind of give you a, like ten like percent of the truth. So I think they might. I think that story. I think it was by by Martin Blackburn Blaggers. Um, I think that story about them going for Diacabi. They, they they could well be something in that. I don't know for sure, but. Yeah, there could well be something in that. And obviously, because Martin's really well connected as well. Mm. Do you think in terms of profile, um, the profile of the player, yeah, I know. the Diacabi thing makes more sense than... Uh, I, I know what you're going to say. Not as a January purchase. Yeah. Because like, he's 20. Well, just because he's young and because you can throw Mangala in, but also because he's the type of player who I feel... I feel you can bring somebody like him in without it being the sort of statement that look, I think if you bring Van Dyke in, then that says something to Vinny Stones and Otamendi. And yeah. what it says to them is one of you three definitely ain't getting much football between now and the end of the season. Um, whereas I, I think that a guy like Diacabi coming in, it, it maybe gives a different feel to. You see the point I'm making? I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about the, the dynamics and the balance of the squad and, you know, January's good and bad in the sense that you want to bring a good player in, but you don't necessarily want to piss off two of your best performers or two players that you're going to need, you're going to need to call upon. Um, mm. And I think that the seniority certainly of Otamendi and, and company, just in terms of their age and their profile, it's a bit tricky if you bring Van Dyke in in January, I think. I see, I see that. But at the same time with company, I think, you know, Guardiola is pretty much at the end of his tether with him regarding the, f- the fitness and it's not just like I think there's some kind of opinion among Guardiola and his staff that you know it's it's not in, entirely unfortunate for company to get injured you know it's he he just works too hard and you know he kind of brings it on himself you know his heart's in the right place but he's doing more harm than good mm. and I think putting his nose out of joint and saying look I think they could quite easily explain to company bringing in a new centre back to be fair like Van Dyke, because they could be like, oh, well, look, we, we, can't, we can't rely on you. And that sounds harsh, but it is a fact. And the thing with Otamendi is, in the summer, they thought they were going to get rid of him anyway. And he's, he has been playing really well, really well. Uh, he's been excellent. Um, but just keep him on his toes, because he's only been playing well for three months. And you, you wouldn't want that to go the other way. So if, if you bring somebody in like that to keep him on his toes, I don't see that being too much of a problem. Yeah, that's a, that's a fair shout, I guess. Um, okay. With it being a World Cup year, oh, actually, before we do that, very quickly, left-backs, um, do you see, do you think that's maybe the one that slipped to the bottom of the priority list for January with the way that Delph is performing? Or do you think that it's one of those where we're getting really excited about Delph, but privately, Guardiola's like, I definitely need a backup left-back in January? Yeah, but it's, it's a difficult one, isn't it? Because, like, one, one factor is Delph is likely to get injured between now and the end of the season. And I, I, to be honest, I think we, you know, City have been quite lucky to get this far without him getting injured already because his injury record is worse than companies, isn't it? Like even back to when he was at Villa, he missed so many games. Um, but then it's like, so who, who do you go and get? Do you go and get another left back who is good enough to come in and just, you know, fill the role and rotate with Delph? Um, but then isn't necessarily good enough next season when Mendy's fit 
and Dalf's still an option because there might be games where, like Chelsea away, Dalf's first game, there might be games where they think we could attack them both ways here, but we could go with Dalf because Dalf can go into central midfield and Mendy can't. He's better going out wide. So Dalf could still play plenty of games next year when Mendy's fit. And then you think, what happens with the guy they buy in January then? Exactly. Um, I think like Gulam would have been ideal because Gulam would have basically been quality. And you would just have to be like, well, we've got Gulam, he's quality. We've got Mendy, he's quality. And Dalf is just kind of there to to go wherever. And, you know, maybe now, the funny thing is, we spent so much time going, I wonder if Dalf could play left back. I know some fans that mooted it last summer before Guardiola had even started. We, it's kind of ironic now. We have to wonder if he could if he can play in midfield again. I, I wonder if he could do the Fernandinho <laughs> job. Yeah. And then you've got two good left backs. But so with Gulam being injured, and it's just it's a difficult one because Aaron Martin, their interest in him was genuine. And by all accounts, Espanyol would, you know, they'd take a pretty low offer, like 15, 20 million, something like that. But then again, like I say, where does he fit in? And then if City were buying a left back in the summer, and you look at the quality of fullbacks they spent last summer, would they kind of settle for a name like that if they were going in the summer? Is it? And how much of a stopgap is it? it it's a really difficult one, left back. And I, I think Martin is kind is there is a the good chance of him because just just because I know they have got an interest in him, and you know the interest in the summer was genuine and it's gettable. It's just more kind of the long-term permutations of that really because it's like where does where does he fit in where does Dal fit in and if I don't know it just in terms of Mendy not playing who, who think, would you play like Dalf you, you, you'd go with Dalf because he plays so well already I, I, I don't know yeah that, well that's that's sort of why I, I listen to that whole answer and I come back round to what I think at the start which is basically that don't you think that within when you look at it from that point of view it just makes more sense to not sign in January and to give Delph until... I mean, look, apparently Mendy's recovery is at the very least on schedule, if not ahead of schedule. So he's back mid-March. Is that right? I, I don't know. Um, everyone's talking about how well Ibrahimovic has done and Rocco as well to come back in seven months. So maybe that's a new benchmark for these injuries and uh, Guardiola said at the end of it was the end of September wasn't it right at the end of September Mendy had his operation and he said he'd be back for the Champions League semi-final which is the end of April um, so that was ah okay so, uh, it's the that end was, of, so that was seven months yeah okay that's right that is seven months um, the end of April the thing is yeah he did that video of him doing keepy uppies the other day but one of the city physios on Twitter replied to him saying like it just said Benjamin but with like an annoyed face and it's like, <laughs> and, and, and everyone loves Mendy for how enthusiastic he is and that. But it's like, don't be missing the World Cup, mate, for, for the sake of an Instagram video in November. Yeah, Do you know what I mean? Nobody, totally. no, nobody at City is going to be rushing him back. And I mean, now there's no need to, obviously, but we don't know what's going to happen in the new year with injuries and that. But I don't, even if City were in some kind of injury crisis, I don't think they'd rush him back. So I still think, I still think April's a realistic expectation. And, and, and ev- yeah, even then, we saw with Gundogan, you know, he, he took a long time. Well, he was given a long time to be bedded in. There were games where we were thinking, oh, you'd, you'd play Gundogan here. And he just didn't, he just didn't start. And he came on for about 15, 20 minutes. And especially somebody who plays the game at Mendy's pace. And that's something Guardiola actually mentioned in the summer, because obviously Mendy had the knee injury um, from that France against England game. 
it was it was in LA and somebody asked, it might have even been me, I can't remember. And he's and Guardiola said, Look, we we want to be especially careful with him because he's so dynamic. You don't want to risk him. So I, I mean, if he didn't play again this season, I wouldn't be massively surprised. Fair enough. Um but again, it it just kind of depend on on the state of the squad. And you know, by the time he's back, see may well have won the league. You know, I'm not I'm not getting ahead of myself and anything can happen, but one of the possibilities is that by the end of April, City may have won the league. So there's no need to rush him back or you can just bring him back gently. It just depends on the situation at the time. Mm. But it's still probably fair enough. And in terms of, I, you've touched upon something that I was going to ask you anyway. Um, in terms of the January business, do you think that, do you think that there'll be an element of, let's see where we are on the 1st of January in terms of how the league table looks? Because the, the point I'm making is that if the league, the lead does get extended to 12 plus points by that point. Um, the, is there an argument then to not buy just because you don't need to? I'm not, I don't know about the thing is with the whole need is it's not taking any chances. Same as in the summer. So even if, because Guardiola actually said the other day, this is their big period now um, from now until the Watford game. Yeah on January the 2nd. Um, and again, as I mentioned, the fixtures, Huddersfield, Southampton and West Ham and the latter two at home should be winning all of them. And I mean, I dread to think the aggregate score. And then I think they'll beat United or they certainly can beat United. Um, and they can beat Spurs. And then after that, it's like Bournemouth, uh, Newcastle, Palace. There is genuinely a chance for City to, to, to you know, to at least have the same lead they've got now going into the new year, which would be massive. But I just think that would just strengthen the resolve not to let it slip and not oh, yeah. to and not to look back at the end of the season and go, we could have signed this guy and we didn't. Mm, I just right. don't think they're going to take any chances. Because, again, his first season didn't pan out as they wanted. That was kind of a year zero they didn't really expect to have. Um, they're not going to want that again. And obviously, if they win the league this year and they get all the players in and get the squad settled, then the sky's the limit, really. Mm-hmm. Um, with it being a World Cup year, do you think in general there might be a bit more January business than normal um, with players who aren't playing looking to get a move just to get some playing time before the World Cup? Yeah, I think I think there will be some of that. Um, yeah, because, you know... It's it's such a big it's such a big thing for players. I mean, you speak to Americans and they're disappointed. Christian Pulisic isn't going to play at the World Cup, and he's young. But then you get players like Buffon who are older; they're not going to play at another one. It, it's important for everyone, obviously, to play at a World Cup. But no matter what age you are, because you could have players who are twenty four thinking this could be my only chance, or or you know they're just restless to do it or whatever. And yeah, if you're not getting if you're not getting that game time. Um, I could, yeah, you could certainly see why people would would look to do that, and there there might be a bit more than usual. But the the market is so funny; there will probably still be that kind of lingering Neymar effect, and people not really knowing, you know, how much money to ask for the players that they don't necessarily play. It's going to be a bit of a weird one, but yeah, I yeah, I can definitely see that being a factor. Um, I'm, I'm I can't think of too many examples at the moment. Although interestingly, Matters out of contract, isn't he? And he's not necessarily in the Spain team, although he never really has been. But I'm just trying to I'm just trying to think of examples like that. You know what I mean? Of high profile yeah. players who aren't in their teams who could feasibly leave. But I th- it will be a factor. I just don't push me for any examples. No. And the other the other interesting thing about next summer, 
um, and January, I guess it does affect January, and we've touched upon it already. It's just the number of big players mm. who are out of contract next summer. Obviously, the obvious ones for me um, are Messi, Sanchez, Ozil, um, and even Emre Chan at Liverpool. Uh, and I've not asked you specifically about Emre Chan, but I don't yeah, know. Yeah, any- yeah. I don't know anything like you know. Not, I'm not being in the know, but my gut feeling. Is that City are in for Emre Chan? I could see that. I could see that. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know, but I could see that. And because what? Whenever I've seen him, oh, um, I'm on the MEN and I've got their autoplay killing me. Got Simon Bukowski's voice asking Guardiola a question. Um, <laughs> just City twenty four seven in this house. Um, uh, Emre Chan. Yeah, whenever I've seen him play, you think there's a good player in there, and I think it's kind of a Liverpool thing. You know, they've got good players, but they don't always kick on. They buy players like Chan, and the hope is they go to the next level. Often they don't. Uh, um, with Chan, there's a there's a really good player in there, but I'm not sure you, they're going to get the best out of him at Liverpool. Um, but I could, yeah, you could see you could see Guardiola kind of working wonders with him. Well, I think the interesting thing with Chan is that he, by all accounts, wants to play that position that, um, that Henderson plays in, which is more or less the position that Fernandinho plays in. Yeah. Um, and that's where that, that's what kind of made the light bulb go on in my head because I really think I, I like Chan every time I've seen him, I've, I've thought there's a definitely a player yeah. in there somewhere. Um, and I think that, he maybe is ready for. I don't know. Like I just feel like he's this maybe the sort of player who Guardiola can bring in and mould over eighteen months, two years. Because I feel as though Fernandinho will be here for another year. Um, yeah, he'll, he'll be here until the end of next season at the very, very, very least. Um, but I can totally see a situation where City is saying, you know. That position is yours. After that, you'll replace Torre. Um, yeah, yeah. And like again, I say, I don't know, but I, I could certainly, I could certainly see that happening. I think it's a, it's a possibility. And then you know, Emre Chan and Alexis Sanchez on a free—that's half your business. You're not paid any money. <laughs> yeah, that wouldn't be bad. Um, I suppose it would be, uh, it would be remiss to not really talk about uh, Messi being available on a free. And also, I think that we we joke about this a lot, but in just let me just check the date. In more or less six weeks' time, he can sign for City. Like he can literally sign the contract because, yeah, because we don't play. You can sign for clubs outside your own league from the 1st of January. Um, do you think they'll be trying for that? Yeah, oh, yeah, God, yeah. I mean, they'll be trying. Well,. <laughs> The odd thing is, you know, I've been saying this pretty much as long as I've been City correspondent. I said two years. Um, as long as there's a possibility, they will try. It's just whether there is that possibility. Um, and yeah, I mean, yeah, you can legally speak to players from January the 1st, but obviously that will have been going on for years. And if there is any possibility, they'll be going on now. But I think I think the theory in Barcelona at the moment um, is, it's, it's an odd one because it's like there's there's just no information about it but the kind the theory is he signed the contract and he's he's playing under those terms at the moment um but it's just not being announced and maybe that's maybe it's a political thing where he doesn't want to he doesn't want to be seen having the picture with uh, Bartomeu the president 
Um, and that's that's kind of the controversy around it. Um, and it's all sorted. Um, but it's just not being announced in, just, quite, in, an, in an ironic way, a bit like the Aguero thing, but, you know, not quite as... Does that I don't know. feel yeah, realistic similar to, to you? It. Uh, it does. I think I think it does. Um, again, we're going to find out soon, aren't we? We said this just before we started. We're going to have to find out soon because teams will, from January the 1st, any any team is going to chance it. And look, they, they're probably trying already. Look, let's be honest, everyone talks already. But people are going to start to be getting answers now. And then, look, if Juventus ask, then there's going to be Italian journalists and Italian agents who know the situation. If Bayern Munich has, it's going to be Bayern journalists uh, and agents around Bayern. And everyone's going to know the situation with his contract soon enough because loads of clubs are going to be asking now, January the 1st, whatever. So we're going to find out soon enough, I think, just because of the nature of, of the thing. We're going, to, we're going to find out exactly what's going on. But I think it's likely that he has signed this contract. I think there's there's three contracts. There's like an image rights one. There's oh, there's there's something else like that in the kind of ballpark of image rights. And there's the actual playing contract. And I think it's a fact that he signed the two. And then the theory now in Barcelona is that he's actually he has actually signed the playing one. Um but it's just um, not being announced, and that's because of political reasons. And I think it's you know it's a reasonable theory. But the weird thing for me, I mean, okay, I'll 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 bow to your superior knowledge of of what they of what's normal in Barcelona. But for me, it just seems a bit weird that politically it's good for anybody to not make that announcement. And also, secondly, it's weird that Messi would have any control. Over. Oh, well, he does though, doesn't he? No, but in terms of the announcement, like if they've got him, if he signed the piece of paper that ties him to them for another four years or five years, then he signed that piece of paper. Then uh, for me, it seems really weird that they then sit on that thing and go, actually, you know what? We're not going to announce this because he seems a bit upset at the moment. So we should wait until he's a bit happier. It just seems a bit, I feel as though there's a bit more to it, but maybe I'm just, you know, clutching at but- straws because I'd love to see Messi at City. Well, I think they wouldn't want to upset him anyway because, I mean, yeah, yeah, fair enough. If he signed the contract, then he's not going to go on a free. Um, but from Messi's point of view, I mean, if we look at that team and people are saying now the only reason they're where they are is because Ter Stegen's having a great season and Messi's having a... Well, he's not even having one of his best seasons, is he? But he's Messi, so he's doing enough. But if you are Messi and you're looking around and thinking, well... <laughs> If I do go, I'm the only reason Barcelona is still good, or I'm one of two reasons why Barcelona is still good. So what what are they actually doing to support me? Neymar's gone. Fair enough, Suarez is in bad form. You can't blame Suarez or Barcelona for that. But if you were Messi, you would want assurances. And I mean, actions speak louder than words, and there haven't been many actions recently. And the actions they have made, you know, they've been a shambles, really, trying to get Di Maria on a free, not on a free, on, on the final day of the transfer window and all that. Um. You, would, you wouldn't want to push him over the edge. And maybe they do know the City would go and pay the money anyway. Mm. So if, if they go, well, come on, we're announcing this. So, no, we're not. I think I think Barca are on, they're treading on eggshells, basically. Okay. So I think that probably would explain, if it is true that he's already signed the contract. And like I say, I don't, I don't know. That's, and nobody knows. But that's the theory in Barcelona at the moment among the journalists who work there. Um because, it, yeah, I mean, from, from their point of view, they're all saying, look, and he's not going to be losing money. You know, he's not going to be earning less than he could be. He's not, he's not stupid. So he's either, he's either 
earning the money on that contract already or when he does sign it, he's going to get reimbursed for the months he wasn't playing it. But whereas the journalists in Manchester, you know, we're all thinking, well, if he does go anywhere, it's going to be City. So, I mean, there is a bit of that coming into it and it depends on where you're living and who you're working for and what your point of view is. But like I say, it certainly does make sense that he would have already signed that contract. And there are a lot of people who have already said that's the case. Um, But yeah, I just think they're kind of treading on eggshells a bit because... You, you want to keep him happy, don't you? It does make sense. It does make sense. He does He does wield that sort of power, I guess. Um, okay, let's have a, a quick look at the Huddersfield game. Um, do you think that the team will be rotated again with the fact that we play Southampton in midweek? And in terms of that rotation, which team on paper do you think will be stronger, the Huddersfield one or the Southampton one? Uh, if he does, the Huddersfield one, just because it's away from home. Okay. Um, Southampton are all right, aren't they? They're, in fact, Huddersfield and Southampton are two teams I can't really put my finger on. I, I don't know what I don't really know what they are. Spot on. Um, but yeah, with it being away from home, and you know, it was a nil-nil there last year, wasn't it? In the cup, and you know, Nolito's not going to be playing this time around. But you know, the pitch was bad, and you know. The wind, the wind can get in at the corners and all that, and that kind of thing. And you know, don't get me wrong, United aren't City, but we've seen that Huddersfield they can go a long time without doing anything. They they got pretty well dicked by Spurs when when they went there, but they beat United. So I don't think it'd take any chances away from home. And obviously at the Etihad, you, you can kind of control things a bit better, and there's a certain expectation. And Southampton will probably play in a certain way that you've played against a hundred times. Um, so if he does mix it up a lot. Um, then it would probably be um, stronger at Huddersfield, but I wouldn't be surprised if they did. You know, strong, strong for both because it's not it's not unlike when they've had a big um, a big league game and then a big Champions League game just a few days apart, and they're strong for both. And then maybe you just make the change for uh, for West Ham because I don't know. Can I mean West Ham? They they could be in for a real hiding. Yeah. Um, in terms of the players who played. In Feyenoord, um, is there anybody who did enough to get in at Huddersfield? Uh, no. Okay. Uh, but it's such a high bar, though, isn't it? So it's a combination of they didn't. And again, as I said earlier, it's kind of it's kind of to be expected when you make so many changes. They're not all going to come in and and play well. But it's a combination of the fact that they didn't play so well for whatever reason, and the fact that it's such a high bar. You know, no one's no one's going to replace De Bruyne. I think Silva's got a bit of a neck problem. Oh, really? Um, I think so, but I don't think it's too serious. Um, but, I mean, it does make sense, because whenever you see a picture of David Silva, his body's facing one way and his, his head's head going the other. The other totally. <laughs> so, so it's no surprise, really, that, <laughs> that his neck hurts after all these years of doing that. But, I mean, I'm not, I'm not sure how serious it actually is, um, but you'd, you'd expect him to come back in. Uh, and, yeah... Um, as much as we talk about options up front, in terms of playing wide, you know, Bernardo's had a slow, a slow but steady start. I'm, I'm writing about that this week, um, but he's not going to dislodge Sterling or Sane anytime soon. And as Aguero, uh, sorry, as Guardiola explained the other day, he's not going to play Aguero and Jesus together. Um, and yeah, Jesus is kind of have, has his ups and downs. He has a couple of quiet games, and he and then he has his his games where he's on it. Um, so, I mean, maybe Aguero would play instead of Jesus, but that's kind of a toss of a coin on any given game, isn't it, mm. really? 
Um, but no, uh, not really anybody else. Um, Danilo was fine at left back, but as long as Dalf's fit, play him there. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, um, um, presumably it will be company and Otamendi at centre back. Um, are Huddersfield better than their recent results suggest? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what they do. Um, it's not like, you know, kind of we had this expectation that they'd come up and play and, uh, you know, kind of play football a bit. They're not quite Swansea when they came up and did it. Um, they're, they're not quite up and at you, although they have made the most tackles in the league by far. Um, they don't score, they've scored eight goals. Um, which is how bad is that compared to the rest? It's third worst. They, I don't know what they do. Um, and the, the only way I can see them doing anything against City is just in that kind of typical, this is a difficult away ground, football's mad, the wind's swirling, it's pissing down, they'll get in your faces kind of thing. But I'm not, I'm not really sure. And, and yeah, are they better than their recent form suggests? I don't know. I think... I think their problem is they are caught between kind of two styles. They play the ball a bit, but they do mix it up. Um, and I, th- I think that's what will catch them out this weekend because they're not they're obviously not good enough to live with City and I don't think they've got as coherent a plan. Um, and I, I think there was also kind of a reflection of that, you know, getting beat 4-0 by Bournemouth. Mm. I, don't think, I don't think that was a fluke. Uh, beating beat, beat West Brom. Um, yeah, fine. West Brom were terrible at that point. Um, yeah, but beating United is the only outlier. The rest of them, well, let me just have a look now. So yeah, they've had terrible results. Lost at West Ham, a draw with Leicester, lost at Palace, draw at Burnley, yeah, battered by Tottenham, lost to Swansea. They're, they're terrible, aren't they? Mm. God. They're, they're, See, no, I mean, these, these, are, these are bad results. They beat United. God, that is a bad result for United, isn't it? Yeah. And then lost at Liverpool, beat West Brom, who were bad. That's their only win of the season. Mm. Yeah, and I mean, lost, lost to Bournemouth. God, they are bad. That's why I asked <laughs> whether they're better than their results suggest. Because for, in a weird sort of way, whenever I've seen them play, they've been okay. Like they don't look. Yeah, you know, you that's know, what like, I mean. Like, they, they, they are kind of okay, but they've got a soft underbelly, basically, haven't they? Yeah, they're like they're okay on the surface, and then as soon as they're tested, they just seem to fall apart. Well, I think for a lot of promoted sides, I think for example, the, the actually Newcastle Newcastle against United game. Um, from the weekend is a is a pretty good example again in it just in the sense that like Newcastle take the lead and going forward they look okay and they look like they can play a bit of football but the reality is that you know if you're coming up against a 200 million pound set of attackers and your four lads who have just come up from the championship and that, that that's where the issues are I think that's where the issues lie certainly for uh I think for for Huddersfield it's been in a little bit in both boxes in that I think that in between the two boxes, I think they're okay. I think their build-up play is okay, and and I think that they they play decent football. They've not got enough goal scorers in that side at all. I think that's a big yeah. problem for them. And I think just with a like with a lot of promoted sides, the defenders just aren't good enough. That you know most weak. That's where the quality is in the Premier League. The quality is in the attacking players that that you've got in the league. And I just think it's hard. I think you saw that for for Newcastle against United that after the. Uh, after, as soon as United put their foot down and 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 stopped fanning about and decided that they were really going to go at them and started mm-hmm. overloading the box, there was nothing that Newcastle could do and it looked like men against boys and they look United just looked physically bigger than Newcastle as well and that's something that I've seen in in a few Huddersfield games as well that 
I think when they played Liverpool, Liverpool battered them and it was just a similar thing. I mean, fair enough, it was at Anfield, but it just felt a little bit like they got those defenders just got rolled over so easily. Oh yeah, exactly. I mean, there's there's a noticeable difference, isn't there, when they when they play against the top teams, but they've not even been playing well against the top teams, have they? Like, losing four in a Bournemouth's mad. Yeah. Oh, that is a mad result. Let's have a look at Bournemouth's results now while we're at it. But, that, I mean, that's just a mad result. That shouldn't be happening. No, totally. Um, okay, Sam, just to wrap this up, uh, do you envisage uh, a slip-up against Huddersfield or do you envisage that City will manage to get through that game and win? No, I don't. I mean, I don't envisage one. Um, it's, it's Again, it's one of those where you would say difficult away ground. It could happen, but we've been saying that. Like Watford, West, West Brom, Leicester... And they've had like no problems, yeah, like no problems basically throughout those two hundred and seventy minutes. And yeah, I don't know. the The only kind of thing that makes me think they might is just because football's mad, and this is one of those grounds you go away to when they beat in United. But like I say, United are no city, and United didn't have didn't have some of their players anyway. And you know, Lindelof was playing; they had injuries and that kind of thing. Um, city are in much better shape overall and in terms of the players available, and. No, I mean, I, I really, I can't. I mean, famous last words and all that, and jink. I'm sure people tell me this. Is, I'm going to jinx it or whatever. But I mean, if anyone can say they can see City slipping up at Huddersfield, then I'd like to hear the reasoning behind it because there's there's not too many justifications other than I don't know. Football's mad, and City would have to have a, a really really <laughs> weird off day. You know, they'd have to hit the post like five times or something like that. I just I just can't wait to see it. Yeah, now that you've read out those Huddersfield results as well, I'm just a little bit like, oof. I think they're going to get slapped. Okay. Well, yeah, and this is what I mean. The next three games, and then you throw Swansea in as well on the other side of United. It's scary what some of the results that you could get. Mm. It, but you know, against Leicester, in terms of you know the wider football public, it was oh yeah, two 0 against Leicester, fine. But again, that could have been five or six, honestly. And if City just get that right in a couple of these games, then you know we could be talking six, seven, eight again in some of these. Yeah, and I think that's like I think you've you've tweeted it a few times actually, and I think that that's probably it's probably a fair thing to say that right now the the only way that you can really criticize city is you look at some of the games and you go yeah you really could have scored five or six there and you've only scored two that's that's yeah. that's about the only criticism that you can that you can get which is definitely not a bad thing so happy days for that i'm definitely down with that uh, okay sam thank you very much no, thank you, mate. I flew by that, did it? Did it did uh, to everybody who listened? Thank you very much. Um, we will be back next Friday with another Friday show. If you've not subscribed to the 9320 player, you should probably go out and do that over the weekend. We'll have a review of the Huddersfield game that will be available probably Monday or Tuesday. We are speaking to Marty Perrinow next week, who wrote Pep Confidential and Pep the Evolution. Uh, that interview will be out next weekend or early the following week. And yeah, we'll just have loads of content coming up over the next few weeks. So if you've not subscribed already, get over to 9320.com and subscribe to the player. And yeah, we'll be back next Friday. Thanks for listening. Bye.